Hello everybody and welcome to Over the Rainbow, an LGBTQ plus podcast dedicated to queer education and queer representation. I'm your host, Rachel Keithley, and I use she, her pronouns. Today's guest is the amazing Jenna Slaughter. Jenny uses they, them pronouns and is a self-love coach and host of the amazing podcast, The Unlearning Podcast. Jenna helps LGBTQ plus folks sort through emotional baggage, get clear with what feels authentic to you and empower people to take inspired action in their lives. We channel all that and more in today's episode, talking about gatekeeping in the LGBTQ plus community. Within this topic, we discuss what LGBTQ plus gatekeeping is, including distinguishing between good and bad gatekeeping. Predominantly, we aim to challenge thinking around the idea that there's one way to be and open our minds to the idea that there should be no caveats in identity and belonging. Each person's identity within the LGBTQ community is perfectly valid and we need to start challenging those who attempt to devalue folk for not being queer enough. Finally, we share some tips and resources for self-exploration and to improve your activism and allyship for all minorities, not just for LGBTQ folk. So, join us on this journey as we dismantle marginalising structures and foster a world of growth, fluidity and acceptance of all identities. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Over the Rainbow. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. You're welcome. How are you today? Uh, I'm so good. I'm so good. Things are starting to kind of come together after a period of a lot of internalized pressure. And that's always a really cool space to be in when you have that realization of like, ah, I was adding a lot to this equation, wasn't I? and just having that release. So it's been a it's been a good morning and a good couple of days. Amazing. You're ready to take on the world now. Absolutely. I'm ready to change the world. You know, move the gauge onto forward as I like to say. <laughs> All we need in life. All we need. <laughs> so, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? So, name, pronouns, a bit about what you do? Sure. So, I'm Jenna Slaughter. I go by they them. And I am a self-love coach and I also host the Unlearning podcast. And yeah, I primarily work with LGBTQIA plus folks and a lot of it is thought sorting. We're, we're sifting through what is ours and what was just gifted to us like a, a trash heap of garbage and trauma and figuring out what it is that we want to keep and just curating the audacity to go out there and then do the thing that feels really good and aligned. So yeah, I guess that's kind of a mouthful, but that's what, that's what I do. Yeah. No, that sounds awesome. And I feel like we'll be getting into a lot of that today, specifically around the topic we're talking about. So that'll mm-hmm. be cool for you to share what you do. Um, But before we do that, can you share something you've done this week, either to engage in queer activism or queer education? Yeah. um, I want to give twofold because one, uh, I'm working on this really cool virtual summit with a nonprofit called the Pride and Joy Foundation. It is a, I think it's the third weekend in May, and it's hosted in this really cool virtual world that makes it like there are stages, there's like this like entryway, you can choose to engage with people as you walk up to them, or you can, you know, go walk into different presentations. It's like, as close as I'm going to get to a large festival like experience at all. And the mission of the Pride and Joy Foundation is to reduce the rate of homelessness and the rate of suicide among the LGBTQ population. And so A, it's super heart forward as somebody who was once suicidal in college to be able to do the work to heal myself and then also be able to help coordinate an event like this that can help somebody else move through that space with more ease and to move into understanding themselves to a fuller capacity is something that's just mm, so cool. Um, So 
that is a piece that is probably the most direct and needy portion, but I believe also that we can do activism via all our dollars. As we live in a capitalistic society, where we put our money counts. And I bought uh, some merch from my favorite non-binary artist and they're actually from Portland. Their name is Frankie Simone and they are just a lovely human. And I bought some merch from them for their new album. Yeah. That sounds awesome. And I completely agree supporting the LGBTQ plus businesses, your sort of queer family and supporting their message is so incredibly important. Will you have a link that you can share with me so I can share that with the listeners in the bio? Absolutely. I'll send you both the link for the waitlist for the summit as well as the um, link to Frankie Simone because they are so good. So good. It just make me feel so seen. <laughs> oh, and that is so important, particularly around non-binary identities. So that, that sounds incredible. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, totally. So for my example, um, it's probably going to be a bit outdated by a month by the time this episode goes live but I did an Instagram live yesterday with um, a local councillor here in the UK his name's Richard Dunbar so he's been interviewing various people throughout LGBTQ plus history month because it's LGBTQ plus history month here in the UK um, and so he asked me he invited me on and I was so so honoured because I don't know sometimes I don't feel like an expert in anything to do with like activism or allyship and I mean I am, I do this podcast and I definitely shouldn't be self-deprecating in any way, but we got to chat about the podcast, about the work I do around my PhD, so around LGBTQ plus online hate. We got into some great discussions about the structures in society that are reinforcing marginalization, but also giving some like key tips to help people who are wanting to be better allies. So it was, it was awesome. It was super, super fun. And the Instagram live will still be available on Richard's Instagram. So I will link that if everyone does want to go listen because I would appreciate everyone's engagement and feedback on that. Very cool. I have to go take a peek. I didn't see that yesterday when you posted it. Those darn Instagram algorithms thinking they know what I want, but I want that conversation, <laughs> but they don't. So I'll go take a peek at that too. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So let's launch right in with today's topic. And I thought we could talk about gatekeeping in the LGBTQ plus community and a sort of hierarchy of identity that exists because I mean when I first started coming into myself and realizing my identity this was not something I was aware of I thought that I just had the cisgender heterosexual community to face and fight against and that's not actually the case so I thought we could really get into that topic and explore why it exists what the problems are and how we can work together to overcome it. Yeah. Ooh. So that's a, that's a lot of questions and a lot of ways I could go. Um, hmm. I something that you mentioned just now that really resonates for me is the idea that when you're coming coming into yourself, which is you know a term that I, I think we both have started to use versus coming out because that really places the focus on the closet, and I think that it's more the problem is with society not fostering an open relationship and dialogue with our sense of self in general. So it's coming in. Um, when we're doing that, we think that we are just having to deal with our mom and dad and the heteronormative stuff. But when I came out, I came out to, um, and I, I came out because I kind of had to. I had decided, I knew to myself and I knew to my very best friends for probably, I think about a year or so that I was I liked both genders. Now I'm like, I like people. <laughs> but at the time I had just been like, oh yeah, like I like, I like women too. Great. And um, I had decided that I wasn't going to come out until I like was going to be like maybe taking a woman home. It was something that felt inconvenient to me because there's definitely a social currency of going with the flow, especially in a small conservative town. And so when I came out, um, I came out as bisexual uh, because I, I had met somebody at, that just blew me away. I, I was like, they walked in the door and I was like, oh shit, this is it. I'm gonna, damn it. And I brought my friend aside who had invited this person. And I was like, how dare you invite somebody who looks like that in, you know that 
I've been struggling with my sexuality. How dare you invite them and make me have to face this? So I'm having a crisis in this party. <laughs> and I, I ended up coming out about a week and a half later because it became very apparent that I was not going to be able to like walk around this for the rest of my life. And it was actually my, my parents handled it quite well there was some improvements to be made of course but my mom really does try to be a good ally um but the person that i started dating right away was not so welcoming and comfortable they they were worried that because i was bisexual that i was gonna maybe wake up one day and i was gonna decide that i just liked men that i didn't like them anymore I just didn't like women anymore or that like the they ascribe to the idea of like a gold star lesbian which i loathe that term because it's still like being in the closet places this value around a penis and whether or not you're you are better than or less than uh, whether or not you have had a, a a penis penetration like that just seems so absolute silliness to me but at the time that was something that was ascribed to and I was belittled that I was like a baby gay and that I was just coming into this identity and understanding and they made that a lot harder because I my feelings weren't held to the same standard because I was a baby gay. My desires were not held to the same standard because I just now started speaking about them. There's a lot of body erasure that happens in there. And it got so bad that I actually changed my identity to being a lesbian for a long time because I just needed to, it, it was like, <laughs> wow, that was such an abusive relationship because I, I felt so pressured to help cater to them, their ego and their comfort that I changed a self-identifier that fit for me that I've now finally come back around to, to appease them. And that's just, so, we see that happen in a lot of different flavors of people not feeling queer enough or not feeling like they are doing enough in their gender or in their label or in their sexuality. And we see this within men not be, you know, being told they're not man enough or they are not bisexual enough. And people have this misconception that you, if you're bisexual, that means you must like 50-50. You must like people, like there's gotta be no preference, which that in and of itself is very binaural thinking that totally erases all of the non-binary babes, the trans babes, like, hello, we're here too. Where do we fit within this? Um, but like for the sake of, of this argument and what was happening at the time, we, we see a lot of othering within our own community and it is detrimental and it is not helpful to us as a, a queer community to be bashing on each other for not being enough we're already inherently worthy we just we don't need to know all of the time which is one thing you do, you are entitled to change your label and that does not make it any less valid or that the previous one was any less valid you are you know more now about yourself you know yourself more fully that's okay so I think gatekeeping in the queer community, we see as a lot of people being told that they are, are or are not able to take up space based on how they are presenting themselves, which we see that all the time in the, in the straight community. Why are we doing the, that work within our community as well? Yeah. I mean, mic drop, literally you summed it up perfectly. It's... It's one of those things where I almost took it for granted when I entered the LGBTQ plus community or aligned myself with them. I almost took it for granted that there would be space for everyone and that everyone's identity would be equally as valid, equally as sort of accepted. But there are these just caveats and contingencies on acceptability and belonging. It's like, yep, yeah, you can come in, you can come right to the top because you are, in inverted commas, fully gay or 
fully lesbian, you know, whatever label it is you're choosing to use, but those that do not fall on the two extremes, it seems like we have in our mind, and it all comes back to a binary, doesn't it? We have in our minds that either you are heterosexual, straight, or you are 100% gay. And heaven forbid you fall in the middle of that binary because people cannot take it. And they feel threatened by it. I don't know. I mean, it's like you said, I really want to sort of tease that point out a bit more. The fact that your partner at the time felt like they were projecting certainly their values and their views onto you, but they felt like you were going to leave them for a man or that you had too much choice in inverted commas in terms of your attraction and therefore they weren't going to be enough. And it's it's a lot to put on a person, isn't it? And it's a complete misunderstanding of attraction, identity, personality, human nature in general. Yeah. It's a misunderstanding of it's a it's under it is a lack of trust is really what it is. Regardless of your sexuality or your sexual preferences, what it comes down to is are you in a monogamous relationship or not? Do and does that work for you? Do you want to be in a monogamous relationship? or not. Because if somebody has committed to being in a monogamous relationship with you and you have talked about what are the rules and boundaries, the expectations, um, those types of, of conversations, if you have done that, then you should trust whether or not this person likes somebody else or not like somebody else, I'm sorry, likes another gender. Sorry, I am also poly. And so <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> get into this whole like polycule thing. Um, yeah, I, I, point being, I think underlying it is a lack of trust of your partner. And that's what it was. And a projections of the that binaural thinking. And people underlying just want to be accepted and so if they have spent so much energy and time trying to fit in those boxes themselves and be accepted, and then you come in here and you say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be in either of those boxes. I'm going to actually stand on top of both of them. Um, that can be very frustrating to see because you're saying that you can show up just as yourself and you can just be okay with that. That's infuriating to people that are living with a lot of pain and not feeling seen and are hiding themselves. Well, yeah, that's the main point. And I think that's obviously not the only, but that's one of the biggest impacts it has on you. As you've already mentioned, you felt so constrained and so sort of blocked from being able to explore and just accept yourself that obviously at the point you were at in your journey, now you're obviously standing up and you're saying, that's not going to work for me. I'm going to be myself. But at the time you really felt like you had to fit yourself into one of those binary boxes. So you said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a lesbian. I'll, I'll use that label. And what sort of impact did that have on you and your mental health on your identity? If, if you oh feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> I mean, I like, I couldn't turn off the fact that I liked women. I could not walk around that for the rest of my life. I could not do that with men either. Trust me as much as I want to trust me. Like it is proof that bisexuality is not a choice because if it was, I wouldn't like cis men because they've had some really gross implications on my life and my experiences with them have overall not been that great and uh, fulfilling. So yeah, if it was a choice, I would choose to just like everything to the left of cis men. I would be, I, that would be a choice. Um, but all joking aside, it, I couldn't walk around it. I couldn't. And it caused a lot of tension within myself of, okay, well, if this doesn't fit, well, what do I do with, with this over here? And being a bisexual woman, you get like unicornized a lot where people are like, oh, want to have a threesome? And also, I don't know if like we can talk about that on your podcast, but it's a fetishization we see it within with lesbian women as well, but it it is different. It is different in the way that you are approached. And yeah, it caused a lot of tension. And it it is it's overall has that tension pushed me to become clearer on who I am and what feels good and what feels authentic. And 
for that, I appreciate it. But I didn't need I didn't need that pressure and I didn't need that push, especially when I was in such a vulnerable space. So I make I make time now to hold both ends of it. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point that you um, sort of displayed there is that sort of fetishizing and sexualizing of the non-binary identity, shall we say, the non-binary genders, the non-binary sexualities. There seems to be this implication that if you are, if we'll go with sexuality for now, if you're bisexual or pansexual, that that means you want threesomes, that that means you are sex obsessed, that that means you're penis obsessed if you're in, if you're talking about females within the LGBTQ plus community. And it's like, no, there's so much more to your identity and to your being than that. We're not putting these stereotypes and these pressures on the binary sexuality. So why are we suddenly doing it just because you happen to like men and women as opposed to me liking women? It's not like attraction in terms of the binaries is just one person. It just happens to be one gender. There's still multiple people within that gender. Exactly, exactly. And I, I just, I think it comes back to this simplicity. It's people want simplicity. They want, our brains like knowing things. They like having decided things. They don't like having to go back and rethink about things. It's a lot easier when the boxes that exist are just, people are just get in the boxes. Now I know how to treat you. I can ascribe to a social script and we can just work through that in a very low brain way. Um, so yeah, I think that that's really what it comes down to is that people want things to make sense and they want it to be easy. They want it to be what it already was, but the world is messy and multifaceted and humans are complex and we might not have grown up in a society that exactly fosters our highest growth. And once we can become aware of and accept that it becomes a lot clearer the work that we need to do and that work is going to vary by individual 100 yeah so i think this is something you said and i guess it will come back to the work that needs to be done but you mentioned sorry i need to get my words collect my thoughts together but you mentioned that this um sort of gatekeeping and then this boxing is binary do you think that within this there is this idea that you can't, I think you have already mentioned it, but you can't move between boxes either. So it's not just a case that you can't straddle the boxes. You cannot move either. It's almost like your script is written from the day you were born and you, you need to stay in that box that you were put in. And that's that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's under there is actually, so it's that binaural thinking, but under that is a static versus a growth mindset. And when you have a static mindset, that is what you had when you were born or what strengths, weaknesses you have had, that's what you have. You aren't able to really change or mold that. You see people say all the time, like people don't change. I ascribe to a growth mindset because I know and I recognize and I have done a lot of studying around how little we actually access of our brains how much of our subconscious is just a soaking in of what happened in those first seven years of our lives on this earth. And I have kind of dedicated my life to figuring out how to unbreak my brain. I, I, I was wired to the point where I was literally ready to end my life at 22 years old. That's not apparently going to work for me. Like I, I made that choice that I was like, okay, I'm, I, if I'm going to stay here, I am not going to live like this. I cannot live with the wiring and the beliefs that I have right now. And so I started to look into how much can I really control to rewire myself, to be naturally happier, to be okay. And it not be a struggle for me to get through the day. And so that's when I started to look into like, what can I do? And there's like 90% that we have not accessed. And there's the whole universe and energy and our thoughts and our feelings and our actions and taking inspired action, doing things that are aligned for us, 
all of that woo woo stuff has aligned with science, has aligned with my personal experience that has made it so there's really no other way to heal than to move out of a static to a growth mindset, allowing things to change. That's that's like the basis of a growth mindset, allowing things to change both within you, within your beliefs, around you in your environment, your labels, what other people label being okay with that changing and, and like welcoming that because like, ah, yes, this has become a more natural order for you. Thank you for telling me that becomes that, that where you look at that instead of with a static mindset being like, oh my God, now I have to try to change this person's pronouns. It's just going to be so hard. And I got, I have to keep all these things straight all of the time. Be okay with not being perfect. Be okay with trying, be okay with failing and be okay with doing better. That's how we foster that growth mindset, which is really what underlies all of this like desire to put people into boxes is desire to have like sense in the world. Wow. I think that's so powerful. And the way you put it like has offered me so much clarity in trying to understand why we struggle as beings, whether we are heterosexual LGBTQ plus cisgender, non-cisgender, why there is that struggle. And it is, it's like you said, it's a reflection of the binaries, the the static nature of the society that we grow up in that teaches us X, Y, Z when we are very, very young and they teach us it as fact and they teach us that everything is static and nothing is fluid, nothing changes. You cannot question things like you've just you've just got to accept it you've got to internalize it and you've got to apply that to your life and that creates for every aspect of life such a like boxed tight suffocating area to be in like how how can you possibly be yourself if the walls are like closing in pressing in on your cheeks like as I'm thinking about it I can almost like feel it for any aspect of identity we can go beyond sexuality and gender here discovering that you don't fit into that mold which I would argue 100% of the world does not fit into that mold it's like how how are you supposed to explore that when the world is not giving you the tools to do so so yeah once you realize that nobody actually fits into this like mold of normal that you're really just striving to this this ideal that is ever shifting these goalposts that are ever shifting, even within society, within yourself, like you will never, ever, ever reach it. So once you throw that out and you realize that everybody is is trying and striving to like hit this ideal, there everybody's trying so hard to show up as somebody else. And like, once you realize that nobody actually knows what they're doing, it becomes a lot easier to not put everybody else up on a pedestal and then therefore yourself behind and feeling like you need to like catch up in some way. Yeah. So how do you think we can apply this to identity, to being fluid, to being flexible, to being allowed to change and explore your queerness? Mm. And exploring your queerness and allowing change. I think it starts with just asking yourself questions that you might not have really asked before. You know, what? when do I feel amazing in what I'm wearing? What is it that I am embodying at that time? And, and that's just, and, an example of the way that you can start to introspect is one is the way that we are presenting ourselves and then digging into the feeling that those, those clothes are giving you. Ooh, I really, I'm really loving when I feel really confident or like I've been in kind of a, like a femme, I've been in kind of a femme presentation lately. I'm just, I'm loving a jumpsuit lately that just like makes me feel like I am just this like goddess that's about to take over the world I mean I think you are (laughs) thank you (laughs) and that's the that's what I would say is just start to ask questions that you might not have asked before as far as what feels like a big old yes 
for you? What feels like a no for you? That And that may be a good place to start if you have experienced trauma or you have come out of a an emotionally taxing or abusive relationship is what are my absolute no's? What am I not going to do anymore? And start from there. So if that's falling away, like get all that out, get all of that out and then ask yourself, okay, if this is going... Sorry, people, I just hit my filter. (laughs) If this is going away, I talk with my hands. So if y'all ended up doing coaching with me, just be ready because I am animated. (sighs) So if you you have gone through and you have asked yourself, what what are no's for me? Then ask yourself, if that is falling away, what am I making room for? And that's that juicy stuff to go towards, which underpins our conversation earlier with that growth mindset. It doesn't always need to be this way. So where are we going towards? And that's when we get our like embodiment stuff, our manifestation stuff. That's that inspired action stuff that we talk about. I love that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's such a scary place to be in to, to sort of question those things about yourself and to explore those things, isn't it? Because I think society has a tendency to have some answers ready for us so for example if you are a I mean this is just a very basic stereotypical example but if you are a femme presenting lesbian and that doesn't always feel right for you and you're thinking well actually sometimes I want to wear like a shirt and I want to mix it up and I don't want to wear dresses and I don't want to wear my hair long society is there to tell you oh well then you're not a femme lesbian, you're not this anymore, you're actually that, so you get over there into that box now. And it's it just, you almost give up and limit your own exploration of yourself because of everything that society and other people are going to put on you, the stereotypes, the judgments that are going to come along with you just trying to say, this is me, accept me for me, don't put me below you just because I look slightly different to you. I think it comes back to two things that you just said is, One, who owns the label? The label is owned by the person. And if they find that that is what feels beautiful for them, who are you to decide otherwise? Nobody. That's who. You don't get to decide. It's owned by them. And the other piece is that we are multifaceted, multi-dimensional beings and no one piece of us can pin us all down. It is just not true. So if we can break away from that, like embrace your multifacetedness, embrace the and, you are this and this. You are brave and scared. That's okay. And you can apply that to any label. You are this and this. I love that. And I think that that is actually a message that needs to go not just to the people exploring themselves, but to other people. When you see people sharing their identities with you, you need to be respectful of that. Like you said, you need to be respectful of their use of that label, of their use of language, however they choose to present. You need to be respectful of that and you need to accept that that is true for them and it doesn't matter if someone else is using it differently it doesn't matter if you have a slightly different understanding of that label or that way to express yourself fuck what you think like to use extreme language it it really doesn't matter like you say you've got to respect that person because I think that is the place we all need to start and I think to an extent because we've been all been brought up in the same sort of society we've all probably been guilty of it at some point we've all made assumptions we've all put people in boxes or when they've shared their label with us we've then made further assumptions about them and all that's doing is hurting ourselves and each other because we're not reaching our true potential we're not allowing people to be happy and be themselves and all you have to do is ask well, what would you want for yourself? Would you want someone to respect you? Would you want to be limitless in your expression of your identity, whether that is your sexuality or your gender or something else? Or would you want someone to be sort of closing the walls in on you? And I very much doubt that that would be the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are multifaceted human beings. Yeah, it's that's beautiful. I like the way that you summed that up. Oh, thank you very much. 
Um, so how do you think that we can educate ourselves on identity and stop this, if we go back to the LGBTQ plus community specifically, how can we stop this gatekeeping within our own community? Hmm. Well, I think, I think there's a really vital piece of gatekeeping that we have not touched on yet. The, we, we, we talked a lot about people being regulated about whether they are queer enough to be a part of the community or whether they are queer enough to be allowed to take up space in the queer community um, or like, and, and the intersectionality is very important too, is that we don't, we, we have very complex experiences that are interlaid by our socioeconomic status, our mental illness or non-illness, our race, ethnicity, um, national origin, like it, it's, all it's all overlays itself um so we've, we've talked about that piece but a really critical piece of gatekeeping is there is good gatekeeping good gatekeeping is based on establishing safety and norms for people and saying that if you are an active threat to the physical or emotional well-being of other people in the group, we are not going to allow you to continue to use this platform. That is good gatekeeping. And so that that's gatekeeping and where we need to really be aware of our privilege as white women or white non-men um, to really be an ally and learn how we can dismantle our biases and how we can pass the mic and how we can dismantle the racist systems that are in play right now. So there are good reasons to gatekeep. And so I don't want this to become a conversation of saying that like people should be able to say whatever they want or should be able to be an active harm or threat. No, 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 no. What we are talking about though is the fluidity and people not always knowing or being sure and that being okay. And us, us relying on the person for the label and everybody who is in the LGBTQIA plus community being already enough and not us not continuing to do the heteronormatized work that we have all faced growing up. Let's not do that internally. That's what this conversation is about. So <laughs> the question was. <laughs> I, no, before I go back to that, I think that was such an important point. And it's something that I'm really, really glad you brought up about positive gatekeeping, about knowing that this does just not mean a free for all that like, yes, freedom of speech exists to a certain extent, but it does not mean that you are allowed to harm other people. It does not mean you're allowed to say what you want. Or people, like, I've had people who've come and done my, my research for my PhD on online hate, where they've literally taken the time to fill out my 20 minute survey and said, well, if this woman gets to identify as a man, well, A, you're misgendering that person, but that aside, then I get to identify as an Apache helicopter. And it's like, no, no, you don't. Like, no, no, no. You don't get to just come in and say whatever you want because we're saying people are free to be who they want. Like, there are still, like, you still need to be a good human being <laughs> within this. So I think that was really important that you brought that up and, and said that we need to recognise our privilege and we need to use that to make sure we're not upholding systems of heteronormativity, of sort of the cisgendered structures that we are to a certain extent benefiting from. I know there are some structures I'm not benefiting from as a gay person, but I am in terms of being a white middle-class woman. So yeah, I think that's very important and how we need to utilize that platform to uphold everyone. Mm -hmm. Yes, as I found myself saying this morning, like accountability, yes. Room to learn and grow, also yes. We need to allow that for one another, because if we aren't allowing people to learn and grow at all, we aren't going to change society. We are society. And so if we can learn to work with one another to change and be the change that we want to see in the world, 
be that most authentic, unchained, unbridled version of yourself. So that way you can encourage others that look like you or feel like you or see your themselves in you. They have the courage to come forward. And that is how we create societal change. Yeah, 100%. It is that responsibility, isn't it? It's not looking to say, oh, it's our governments that need to change. I mean, they, they absolutely do. But it's not just putting it all on them. It is us as members of society on the ground every day interacting with each other that also need to be a part of that change. We have to take some responsibility and and not not blame ourselves, not be like, oh, woe is me that I've been so terrible now and sit in our little bubble of self-pity. Like, it, it's okay. It's okay. We have all got this wrong. We have all probably done something at some point to gatekeep other people's identities in the wrong way. Let's learn from that. Let's reflect. Let's grow. Let's not do it again. Exactly. If we know better now, we are going to do better now. It's our responsibility to do so. And as as an ally, as somebody who identifies as an ally, it's important for us to not just have the comfortable conversations, but to have those ones that are like really uncozy too. And that goes for allies of the the queer community as well if you are just an ally behind closed doors we may have some work to do because the real power that you have is when you stand up in a meeting and you say hey this doesn't sit right with me because we are losing critical voices in this conversation that is how we can be effective allies is by having those uncozy conversations being the change that we want to see and helping push that into the world in a little by little by little by little. And then all of a sudden it all happens all at once. Never underestimate, underestimate the impact that you can have in your day to day. You are a powerful little being, my dear, sweet listener. And I want you to know that. Take, take a moment, like pause this podcast and take a moment to brainstorm three things that you can do to either help foster the growth mindset in yourself to help maybe you're doing some journaling asking some questions of yourself and getting a little bit clearer on who you are and what feels really good or maybe it is hey i have not been the greatest ally or i have some work to do and to dismantle there are a lot of books out there just get, get started reading and then get started applying. But point being, pause this, take a minute, three things, and then message me on Instagram. Let me know what they are, because I will totally, I will you rah rah for you. I will cheerlead for you. I will tell you that you are absolutely amazing because I want more people to be doing this work. Yeah. And same goes for me. I would absolutely love to hear those things as well. I think we can all share, we can all grow together we can show people different facets of ourselves that others might resonate with if we're talking about the piece about exploring your identity if you're talking about allyship one of the best things you can do when educating yourselves on identity on other people is to share the resources you found share the knowledge you've learned and say hey this book's really helped me this person talking on instagram or facebook has really helped me please go listen because i think that that is really going to expand your knowledge and your awareness so you can go into your spaces and be a better ally too Mm -hmm. yes absolutely absolutely and i think right now we are in a space where people at least from the people that i know can are trying to like almost walk around things and like walk on eggshells because they don't want to offend somebody. And I'm doing bunny quotes right now. My mom does this where she is just worried about offending me. And I'm like, you know, this is, if, if something happens, that's just uncozy. Like we can have a conversation, you know, like we, we can just talk about it we can move on. But if you find yourself like walking around things or like feeling uncomfortable talking about certain subjects, instead of messaging your friend who may have this identity and having them do emotional labor for you, Google, buy a book, start reading. And then, then when you have something where you're like, oh, 
I learned, I've learned this thing. I realized that I used to say this all the time and I now know that that's harmful. Um, I'm going to work that out of my language. I'd much rather receive a message like that than somebody come to me and say, Hey, um, can you explain to me what it means to be pansexual? The Googler is a really good way to get that direct from the source. Um, and not to say that I'm not open, but that's just an example of ways that we can take on the emotional labor for ourselves and do the work for ourselves and then like be able to help dismantle when you know a little bit more. So if you find yourself uncomfortable, go find some resources. Well, exactly. I think that's the, that's the biggest point, isn't it? It's about like educating yourself and expanding your awareness isn't a state of comfort because you are changing the status quo within your mind and that's okay you cannot sit and live comfortably in your little box or as to use your phrase skate around and walk on eggshells because you're going to get nowhere but equally it's about actively participating in that education in that growth in making sure you're not reinforcing these hierarchies you can't put it on someone else and as you said slide into someone's dms and get them to do the work on your behalf there are i mean people will always be there to help of course but they'll be there to help with questions after you've started the work yourself and that that goes for all of us i do it myself i get books on race and racism and i get books on other lgbtq plus identities because i need to educate myself for me i need to do the work mm-hmm and if we don't like if we don't know about something, we cannot be empathetic to that happening. For example, in Portland, there are and and I the actual house that I lived in in Wisconsin in my college years has it literally written into the deeds of the house that you will never sell the house to a a black person. Wow. Those literally still exist. They are not legally enforceable, but they still exist. And they were very, they, they affected massive amounts of intergenerational wealth. They contributed to the redlining that happened, the white flight that happened. If any of these words are not making sense to you, look it up because this is very important stuff that has implicated where we are currently. It's easy for us in the U.S. to say like, oh, it's, you know, since the 60s, it's fine. We've integrated schools, people can vote, it's fine. But if you are not looking at the ways that this has impacted people intergenerationally, then you're not seeing the whole picture. So I think of it like, like our history, there are pieces of it that somebody just took a Sharpie to. The indigenous American history, black American history. And then they took a highlighter as well and took the parts that made, made us white people and that colonization look good and highlighted those. So if you're only looking at those highlighted pieces that we got in our typical education, you're only seeing a portion of the picture. And it's our job to do better and see the whole picture so we can do better and we can approach our inner our interactions with others with empathy and a little bit more understanding and again at the same time you can maybe talk a little bit more confidently and not feel like you're walking around on eggshells when you know a little bit more about the whole picture this is like bookending really well we've got the whole picture in like doing that personal work and the systemic un understanding but then there's also that understanding the whole picture of who you are it's the same thing with the history that i just said somebody has a book and it's like portions of you before you were seven you just like completely edited those out because you were told that that's not going to get you love or it's not going to get you success there are whole pieces of it that you've just like redacted they're still there but you just redacted them with sharpie and then you highlighted other pieces and then you just like kind of ignored some of the other text it's like okay what of this is mine what of this is here that we have yet to uncover it's just an exploration on both sides exploring exploring within yourself and exploring within the systems that you are living I love that. I feel like that's, it has, it's come together into this nice Venn diagram of in the middle, just 
the perfect way to live and interact in society. <laughs> so within that, because I realise we have talked about sort of needing to go and find some resources off the top of your head, can you share any great support services, any resources for people to learn about identity, inclusivity, hierarchies, whatever the other? Oh, yeah, she's getting you're getting the I'm, phone. I'm, get, I'm getting my my audible up because this is where I primarily listen. Do 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 do. How to be an anti-racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Very, very good book. There, there's a plethora of them within that same realm, though. I don't want to inundate people with resources, but How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi is a really great place to start. And he actually has he participated in a children's book. He has other like smaller texts too that you can get your hands on, but it gives really impactful examples from real life. Like with the, the house deeds that I had referenced earlier, gives really helpful real life examples of things that you probably did not know. So I would say, I would say start there and just keep reading. Because the, the algorithm, as we love Google and whatnot, is going to continue to push those things your way. So just start. Just start the momentum in that direction. Is there anything you can recommend for LGBTQ plus identities specifically? So for people that, who are living or identifying beyond that binary or for people needing to know more about that? I would say resource wise, we are having that, that virtual summit in May. That is, we're going to have a whole day that is family focused and is about trying to be a better ally that is featuring impactful speakers from the queer community across identities to be able to share their experience in a really heartfelt personal way. And that is going to be a really, really potent resource for people. If you are catching this before May, come join us because if this is something that you are hoping to explore more, this is going to be the place you want to be. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to be there. It just, it sounds absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah oh. I'm so excited. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of work and a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, those two are allowed to go hand in hand. So... <laughs> Well, thank you so much for this conversation today. I feel like we went very deep, but mm. in such a good way. Yes, I agree. Oh, I'm so excited. This was, and I know I said that at the beginning. I think I need a better word. I am so pleased. I'm tickled. Tickled, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm really grateful for you hosting this conversation and us being able to hopefully create some more of that change that we want to see in the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening today. New episodes are available every Wednesday. So please do download, share and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. If you have any questions or feedback, please contact the podcast on social media. We are on Instagram at at underscore over the rainbow podcast, Twitter at over rainbow pod and Facebook at Over the Rainbow Podcast 13. Have a queer week and I'll see you next Wednesday.